Welcome to the Western Vowel podcast series with talks on traditional spiritual teaching and its application in the world today. The intention of the series is to offer something useful for those who are drawn to study themselves and engage practice on the spiritual path. New talks are posted by the first of each month. The content of the podcasts is for informational purposes only and not to provide any kind of counseling, medical, or professional advice. This podcast is titled, What is Spiritual Authority? How to Recognize and Use It. The talk was given by Regina Sarah Ryan on September 8, 2018 in Prescott, Arizona. Regina is author of The Woman Awake, Igniting the Inner Life, Praying Dangerously, Only God, and other books. She is a former Catholic nun, a workshop leader, and senior editor at Home Press, which has published a few hundred titles of spiritual literature. Regina Sarah Ryan. It seems that the essence of spiritual authority is that which empowers the, the other with, the best, with their best interest at heart in order for that individual to awaken to the truest potential of who that one is. So that's the... That's where I'm coming from. That's the big context that I'm presenting. So the conversation is interesting to me for a number of reasons. Uh, one is that I've been in relationship to spiritual authorities as human beings in authority for my adult life. So I entered a Roman Catholic convent. Before that, I was in relationship to uh, priests and nuns and and the hierarchy of the church, and then in the Catholic, uh, as a Catholic nun, I had religious superiors who I was in, who I held as religious authorities in my life, spiritual authorities. And then I left that uh, structure, and I went to India, and I found a guru in India, and I was in relationship to him as a spiritual authority. I, I accepted him and he accepted me, so there was a mutuality about it. Unless there's a reception on the part of the individual, there's no spiritual, there's no relationship of spiritual authority. Spiritual authority must be a relational thing. I mean, there might be, there is such a thing as objective spiritual authority, we'll, we'll talk about that, but mostly we're talking about relative spiritual authority. And then my teacher, Lee, found me, uh, or I encountered him for the first time in 1984. And uh, I was his devotee, his disciple, his student, until he died, in, until he physically left the body in 2010. And I still consider myself in relationship to him as my primary teacher, and in relationship to his teacher, and in relationship to my to his teacher, and in relationship to the whole lineage of teachings that were given to me. So I've been a person who's had a lot of spiritual authority. I've accepted it, I've worked with it, I've struggled with it, I've questioned it, and um, so I'm interested in it. And since my teacher's death in 2010, our my community of friends has questioned, now that the the, the body of the guru is gone. Who is the spiritual authority? Do we still have a spiritual authority? Where does spiritual authority come from? Are we waiting around for somebody else to emerge as the new guru, as the new quote-unquote spiritual authority? And what would that look like? And what does that mean? And is that ever going to happen? And in the meantime, what do we do? So... Um, these are very deep considerations for me and for the people that I work with and, and live with and love and practice with. So the next uh, reason that it's of interest to me is that um, I am a great reader. I read a lot of books. I read a lot in the spiritual domain. And I'm also a book editor. So I work with people who are writing books on the, spirit, on the spirituality. And I also talk to people in various fields who, who come in to uh, my, my life. And I know that uh, whether it's just because there's so much horror in 
in the in what's happening among people who were in or have been spiritual authorities, I mean, in the Catholic Church, in the Tibetan Buddhist lineages now, in the Zen Buddhist lineages, I mean, in the, you know, in the Orthodox Judaism lineages, I mean, is there any group that has gone unrevealed about the, the, the horror of the situations within these various groups? And so I think the idea of having spiritual authority and giving a relational acknowledgement and I empower you to be my spiritual authority, I think is really a very hot issue for a lot of us, for a lot of people. Because we've seen the dangers. We've watched Wild Wild Country or we've read all the material about Andrew Cohen and his spiritual community, for those of you who have and so on. And most lately, the Shambhala, Shambhala lineages with you know, really shocking materials and so on. So there's no, um, there's no wonder that it's a really big question right now. Yeah, but the thing I'm seeing is I'm seeing and hearing words like, uh, you have to become your own teacher. You become your own guru. You trust yourself as a spiritual authority. And uh, I get what that means because I've been with a spiritual teacher, one spiritual teacher in particular for 35 years now and others for many other years before that. And I know what it is to have been so worked with and so impregnated with essential dharmic principles and with the type of transmissional transmission power that some of my teachers have had, that there's hardly any place I can go and look and anything I can read, whereas what I've been given is not like the glasses through which I view the world or the air that I, the very air that I breathe. And so when people say the guru is within, I say, yeah, guru is within. And when I read it sometimes or when I hear it outside in the culture at large, it doesn't have the same impact. What it has is an impact of... Um, I don't want an external authority. I don't want another human being to tell me what to do. Uh, I'm going to trust me. I have got to find my truth. And I'm saying right on, yes, to all of these things. So I'm, I'm walking on some very tender territory, I understand. But I'm willing to do that. Um, it's kind of like you've heard people... You've heard people say things like, uh, you heard Shirley MacLaine in the early years standing in front of the ocean going, I am God! And some of us said, hmm, you know, I mean, I get it. You know, you are God, right? You are. <laughs> and we wondered a little bit about whether or not that was something that was embedded in the cells of that individual's being. This is not to make a judgment on her. I'm just using her as a great example. Uh, so much so that it was absolutely the very breath where there was no separation and that was the basis on which life was lived in every aspect. We question that. The other, another good example for me is um, I have a dear friend, Jaya, who's with us tonight and she's a, she's a profoundly gifted musician and highly trained musician. And I have listened to pieces of music and I've gone, oh, that's fantastic. And Jaya's got kind of like, mm -hmm. you know, like, okay, you really liked it, good. <laughs> you know? But what her ear is hearing is not what my ear is hearing. Which is not to say I can't enjoy it. I loved it. You know, I mean, whether it was Barry Manilow or whatever it was, you know, I mean, 
and or you know or some kid at, at the Prescott Music Center, I don't know, whatever. But you know, I, I liked it, and then and Jaya hears at a different level than I hear because she has been so deeply trained and so deeply imbued. She doesn't even have to know who the person is or what their training was or anything. She just knows it. So I'm talking about an ability to discern spiritual authority and to discern this whole thing about listening to the guru within or, the, or I trust my own spiritual authority when it is not grounded in a type of deep uh, absorption, deep t- training that has allowed that, to, that particular kind of knowing to grow. So these are considerations that I have, and I, I may be preaching to the choir here, and I probably am, because I, I know so many of you, and I know the kind of backgrounds that you have. So I, I acknowledge you for all the years of work and study. What I'm articulating will hopefully be of use to you in going deeper into your own understanding of the why you're, you have a relationship of spiritual authority to someone, or that you don't. Or why someone who comes to you might say, you know, we don't need a... I don't need a teacher or I don't need a, a school, a, a lineage. I don't need a path because I have my own spiritual authority. And I, I follow that. So I hope I'm going to raise questions and issues for you that will, that will give you some things to think about. So that's why I'm sitting here tonight. Uh, so here's a quote from, a, from someone who I hold as being someone who's a, a pundit, in other words, one who's studied deeply in the spiritual domain, but also one who's practiced deeply. And this is, a, this is John Wellwood, who some of you know about. And he says, the genuine spiritual authority and the false prophet or the half-baked expert both undermine the habitual patterns of self. One does it in a way that promotes bondage, while the other does it in a way that promotes liberation. One is promoting a type of bondage, uh, a type of, of submission that feeds themselves or that feeds the individual in the sense that they are becoming more bonded to uh, this idea of the separate self, whereas the true spiritual authority is one who is going to undermine, who is going to cut through, which is why it's very difficult to discern spiritual authority, because some of them don't look so sweet and nice. You know, some of them actually have a sword out, like the goddess Kali, who's probably around here, many places. And they, they go around, you know, cutting the heads off of ego. And unless you have some personal practice, and unless you are working with self-observation to observe in yourself your tendencies and have some knowledge of your own tendencies, you may tend to, to discount anything or anyone who violates your very narrow worldview. So many years ago when I wrote the book, um, The Woman Awake, I wrote about this uh, Sufi teacher named Irina Tweedy, profound, awesome woman, uh, spiritual teacher in the Sufi tradition. And um, her teacher was, she met her teacher and within a few years her teacher died. And during that two years, he worked her to the bone. I mean, he confronted her with everything. And when I was telling that story, one of the, um, I was, I was at, a, at a, a spiritual center actually in Massachusetts, and there was a woman in the group who was a Christian minister. And she said to me, I found that story terrible. And I said, why? And she said, Jesus would never have done that. 
you know. <laughs> and I just kind of looked at her like, you, you know that, you know, that, I mean, you know. And she said, yes, he was only kind and compassionate. And I said, well, okay, that's the way you want to look at it, fine. But for me, it was like, I, I couldn't even challenge it at that point because the worldview of what it took to engage a kind of work on self that Mrs. Tweedy was receiving from her teacher and this woman's view of how Jesus worked with his disciples. And, I mean, you can read between the lines and you can see some pretty fierce stuff going on with Jesus and his disciples telling them that you don't know your ass from a hole in the ground, you guys. What is the matter with you? You know, you can't even stay awake for for an hour. You know, like what is with you? I mean, you know, so many, so many things. I but anyway, to engage the conversation would not have worked. I use that as an example by way of saying that when our when our our view is somewhat limited, it's very difficult to discern what genuine spiritual authority could possibly mean, because as Wellwood is saying. Uh, the genuine spiritual authority is one who will undermine the separate, the illusion of the separate self. And unless we are willing to be undermined, to be undone, to be confronted, and I know I don't want it. I don't want that any more than you <laughs> you do. And when it happens, it's shocking. And. If it doesn't happen, if we don't have the opportunity to have it with a person, sometimes circumstances in life do that for us. And very, very fiercely. And for me, in my own life, I have have just tremendous gratitude that I've actually had individuals who were willing to do that with me. So I didn't have to wait until a diagnosis of some serious illness or a, um, a tragedy that was going to shock me into that, that I actually had resources being, uh, I was invited into building a body of practice that allowed me to deal with resources with, with these oncoming things. So, so needless to say, I have, a, I have a bias in favor of establishing some kind of relation to spiritual authority. In the, uh, in the Christian fathers and mothers of the desert in their tradition, and these were the people who left during the Holy Roman Empire, they did not leave because of the, of the indulgences of the Romans and the indulgent life of the Holy Roman Empire. They left and went out into the desert because the church had become the state religion and they knew Constantine had become the emperor, he was a Catholic, and he was going to take over, and he was going to make everyone, you know, it was going to now be the world's religion. And the fathers and mothers of the desert knew that that was the death knell of the true spiritual, spiritual life. So when we are dealing with any kind of world-dominant religious force, we have got to be even more discerning and more careful because the line between power and, and success and in, a, you know, in world domination with these, these kinds of principles is more, is more dangerous than anything. So for me, that was a very uh, interesting thing because for many years, I thought that the fathers and mothers of the desert went to the desert because they saw the degradation within the Roman Empire. And that's true. It was. It was pretty degenerate. But the main reason, as I've been studying lately, the main reason was because of where the church was going as a political force. So those of us who wish to walk a path, we have to know that while at the same time we, want, we may want to engage a system, a practice, a teacher, uh, a tradition, a lineage, we also have to, have to be tremendously um, discerning. And we build that discernment with, by, our, by our practice 
and by the use of our discrimination to find in people of authority, in people who have some kind of spiritual street cred, someone who has, um, who manifests something that we get as being real, not just who can say it, but somebody who can actually be it. We, we want it and we need it, and we know we want it and we know we need it. You know, I mean, we want it in our medical professionals, we want it in our, in our body workers, we want it, you know, we want it in our economists, we want it in our, uh, in our landscapers, we want it in, you know, we want individuals who have some degree of expertise and who are standing in a, in a place of some kind of authority. And we're willing to pay them for it. Uh, when it comes to spiritual authority, we're talking about something a little bit different because the payment is not just from our, our Medicare card or our, or our credit card. The payment is something that has to do with our very, some of our very dearly held belief systems, some of our very dearly held habit systems. And some of our dearly held sense of independence, I'm going to do it my way, no matter what. So it's a, and even, and you know, the bottom line, giving up the very sense that we actually even need it, that we don't already have it, we're not already it. These are some big issues to face where, when it comes to spiritual authority. The whole question of, of authority in general, and spiritual authority in particular, raises another issue, which is another whole series of, to of, of talks, and that has to do with the subject of hierarchy. Oh no, we don't want hierarchies, no? I'm speaking generically, I'm not speaking you necessarily, but the question of examining your relationship to how hierarchy is, I mean, there's so much cheap, cheap talk about, you know, down with the hierarchies. We don't believe in hierarchy anymore. We want the, you know, you know the male system, the, the patriarchy is all hierarchical. We want the female system where we're all equals. Really? Is that what, is that what you really mean by that? Do you actually think that because we say we're all created equal, that that means that we all have the same degree of cheap learning in our bodies, skills, abilities, you know, intelligence, and so on? And are you, will, are you not willing to admit that, there are, that there's hierarchies in nature, there's hierarchies in everything? But when it comes to the spiritual life, for many in the culture at large, the subject of being, uh, you know, being in something that has a relationship that looks like hierarchy is like, get me away from it. And understandably, because there have been many, many, you know, bad things that have happened because the people in authority were actually representing an authoritarian power over and not and advocating a type of bondage rather than a type of liberation. That's the essential distinction. So we're going to look a little bit about this definition of authority because we're in the, still in the, fit, in the phrase of, phase of defining it. And uh, you know the root of authority is the word author. I like that. That's, cool. <laughs> That's what I am, you know. I'm an author. But where does author, what does the word author come from? It's from the Latin augure, A-U-G-U-R-E, is the root of author. And augure means to cause, to grow, or to increase. To 
uh, create, to bring something into being, to be the author of it. So you're causing something to grow. Yeah? Author. So let's take it to the, you know, from my, from my religious background. The author, the ultimate author of cre- all that is creation. Well, you could call it God. You can call it first cause. You can call it energy. You can call it the great, the big bang. You can call it truth. You can call it that which is or that which has no name. But there is something that has caused this to grow or has initiated something into growth. And it is this that is the ultimate or absolute authority. So we're going to get a little mystical here and say that if indeed there is such a thing as genuine spiritual authority, what we're talking about is, especially at this absolute level, is one who is so connected to that 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 individual is not separate from that. And when they speak, when, they, when they're with you, what you are getting is that connection to an ultimate spiritual, to the ultimate author of what is. Now, the author is not necessarily a, an individual person, you know, God in the sky with a whatever, a paintbrush or whatever. Um, but it is that which is that which brings that all together. And so just for the sake of argument, say that, say that there's just this one universal force field called love. And when one encounters this, what we're going to we're exploring here tonight about spiritual authority, what we're talking about is encountering one who has um, a, a relationship who has realized that fully or as fully as you know, is possible, uh, and, and, and is able to uh, manifest that, and is able to actually inspire that in others, awaken that in others, and challenge that in others, and love that in others in the process, and whose ultimate desire is to bring others into that with that which they're never separate from in the first place, okay? So we have to kind of like talk non-dually to to create all of these things happening. So then we have all all sorts of variations on that with the word authority. Um, When Jesus' disciples began to teach, the question to them was, by whose authority are you teaching? So the recognition is, well... No, you can't tell me what to do, but who, where did you get all this from? You know, so we want to know. We want to know where, where this is coming from. Um, there's also a way in which people use authority to, to mean that they were, somebody was a witness to something. So if you're a witness to an accident on the highway, then you're, in a, you're, you're authority. You have authority in that particular Thing, and you can be called into court, you know, in order to witness to that as the authority. So many of the people who have come down to us as spiritual authorities for good or ill have been people who have witnessed to uh, the life of a saint or the life of a great master or teacher. They've come down in a lineage where they witnessed to it and then continued to witness to it and that this is this is a transmission that continues on. So this is a little bit about defining it, all right? Let's move into the second part, which is recognizing it. For a lot of people, they come into relationship to a spiritual authority because of a type of necessity and desperation that has been revealed to them or has has occurred for them in their life. Uh, Perhaps they have tried everything and they recognize that it's just not working. Uh, 
and they are looking for one who can guide and support them in making. I, I really get this because I, I am always praising God for the wonderful miracles that are happening to me every day. And I'm like convinced that, you know, this is like, I must be doing the right thing because this happened and I wasn't going this way, but I turned up going this way and I got this job and this door closed and that door opened. And I'm like, you know, that's great. And I'm praising that, but I'm not necessarily praising the breakdowns and the illness and the, you know, the walls and the shocks. The shocks. There are shocks. There are big shocks, you know. Without the element of recognizing the, the truth of our, um, our need to have ourselves undone and to recognize the places where we are not in alignment, we are not being a true, we are not being a spiritual authority to ourselves because we're not trustworthy. I am not being a spiritual authority to myself in all the areas where I am not trustworthy to my own word. And to be able to see the places where I'm not trustworthy to my own word is so valuable. If I use it as a way to, to beat myself up and make myself, you know, miserable and horrible, then I'm not using the food that's possible when I recognize how inauthentic I am or how out of integrity I am with my own word. But the, those moments are moments for me to enter into a type of uh, forgiveness, compassion, uh, falling on my knees and uh, recognizing, you know, recognizing the truth of what's is. Just this is what is without hurting myself or hurting others. And only that opening allows me that level of compassion with others. So, so necessity is one of the things that allows us to recognize spiritual authority. And this is what I think you recognize in someone who has, quote unquote, spiritual authority. You recognize someone with a presence, with a phys a, a, there's a presence. It doesn't, they don't have to be like even looking healthy, you know, but there's a presence about them. <laughs> And there's a type of attention that they're able to give to you and with, you know, you're, you're, you're clear that they're having that within themselves. So there's a spiritual authority that's recognizable through this presence of being. And we want that. And we can learn from that. We apprentice ourselves to that so that we hang out in the presence of that so that we watch it, you know, we observe it. We, we let it sink into us. And it gets in. But Lee would tell dirty jokes and he was always like, you know, being outrageous and he had rock bands and stuff. And, you know, I'm an old Catholic nun and a lot of that stuff was not my forte at all. But what he did have uh, was a an emptiness. I mean, I hesitate to use the word I was unconditionally loved or whatever because I, I wouldn't relate to it that way. But I was opened in a way that I was in touch with something which was ultimate. And that was so powerful. And I was, I wanted to be around him for that. And now he was that spiritual authority. And now uh, because I've had such a point of reference for that so long, I have a means whereby I can access that without having to sit in front of him. So there's something very, very profound about bringing oneself into relationship with those who have some kind of spiritual authority, not necessarily a guru who's going to do what do to you what Lee did for me, but some way in which being around presence and one who actually has your liberation 
as their highest goal, as their highest, or, or as their highest sense of who they are. They're not like saying, I'm going to you know, liberate you, but yet that is all they do because they know that they're not separate from you. You're not separate from them, and that's what they do. Um, and there's all levels. I mean, there's, there's the level at which I would hold my teacher, my teacher's teacher, which was much more of this absolute relationship to that complete opening. And then there's a more relative level in which they're not necessarily fully, in fully realized in that way, but yet they can be a source of spiritual authority because they have, they have expertise and they have opening and they have availability in particular ways that will open you in those particular ways. So um, my teacher associated, affiliated with, not officially, but was resonant to the tradition of the Baals of Bengal, India. And the, those, uh, the Baals actually oftentimes had, they had a root guru, but they also had several other gurus. And they had a music guru, or they might have a meditation guru, or they might have a you know, um, guru for some other, other purpose. So there are ways in which we have, we can um, uh, have a relationship to a more relative spiritual authority in those who are not at this level of full um, awakening. Because really, if I say to you, my teacher was fully awake, I am only saying that because I love him. And that was my, ex my experience. Unless I am at that level, unless I am there, you know, I can only speculate. I can only speculate that he was that because he was, he was just bigger and more than I had seen elsewhere, okay? And I have met others from other traditions who I would say were bigger and more than I had ever met elsewhere. But to, to, but to put this label on them and say, yes, this was absolute spiritual authority, I'm willing, to, I'm willing to put myself out and say, yes, I think that their level of awakening, their level of resonance to that which is, is was, was pretty profound. But unless I'm there, you know, there's no way to absolutely say that. But with relative spiritual authority, I can definitely say that if one's life is showing up differently because of the relationship to that spiritual authority, then you can pretty much say, and, and the way in which the, one's life is showing up is in alignment with what your highest aspiration is. You know, I mean, you're, you might start gambling or something, and that might be the way your life changed. I'm talking about something that's, that's your highest uh, goal, something where your, 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 your longing is to recognize truth, or your longing is to recognize compassion and to, to be observing in yourself that your default is no longer criticism. It actually, there's actually a tiny space now, and I can, you can go, oh, maybe that person's suffering, and that's why they did that. You know, and there's actually a change going on because of that uh, relationship to that other, that relative spiritual authority. And there's no one way that's going to show up because just like there's no one system of training a dancer, you know, there's some people who do who train dancers in one way and some people who train dancers in another way and some people do it this way and that way. I mean, or psychotherapists, some psychotherapists work this way and so on. And yet they have different results and they can all have very good results. And it, a lot depends upon the person. So um, so the ones who we're in relationship to as spiritual authorities, we're not talking a lot. <laughs> Time is short, you know, and we're going to die. <laughs> At least I am. I don't know about you. <laughs> Sometimes the, the spiritual authority, um, we recognize them because they seem almost to be a mirror uh, for something in ourselves. Like the way in which we, they, they sort of shock us and we kind of see ourselves back in, you know, brilliant 
some kind of brilliant and shocking way. Um, and uh, the Sufis have this understanding of the teacher as the, as the mirror and that, um, and in, in many traditions, the teacher is seen as somebody who's going to reflect back to yourself until such point as you begin to see that that's not really the truth of who you are. We can recognize effectiveness in this, in, in, and that can be a mark of spiritual authority. Um, and I don't mean effectiveness in the sense that they're necessarily going to, they're, they're winning the Olympics. But the effectiveness is in how in which the people around them, the students around them are showing up as being people who have achieved some degree of self-understanding, self-observation, self-mastery, and you know, a little bit of self, uh, self-regard. Uh, they're not necessarily in uh, roles of subservient. We are, we are worms, you know, and great master, you know, it's like, they are standing up with a type of um, dignity and nobility. And that's how we may recognize that the person who is, is doing this work is a spiritual authority because of the way the people around them manifest, the type of effectiveness. There's a way in which people speak and there's a way in which people sing and there's a way in which people perform music and, and so on, in which they are transparent to an influence that's greater than them. And there are ways in which people perform and dance and sing and chant. So chanting is a new thing, you know. Uh, chant that is, oh, it's, it, you know, she's got a good voice and it's the voice of attachment, identification, and ego. And fine, she's got a lot to learn or he's got a lot to learn, in my poor, humble opinion, so. It's, it's just something to just be listening for and watching for and just not being, not being carried away by something, you know. My teacher Lee, and I've, I've said this before, used to say, you know, you can tell a teacher by the students around them. And he said, uh, you know, when you, especially for women, when you come around a spiritual teacher, you know, uh, keep your hand on your purse and your pants on. <laughs> he was <laughs> so we've talked about recognizing it we've talked about uh, defining it and then let's talk about using it Well, I've actually been saying it all along, you know. Um, we use spiritual authority as a point of reference to access our own true nature. Period. We use spiritual authority as a point of reference to develop greater trustworthiness to ourselves. We use spiritual authority as a point of reference to begin to live on the basis of what we know and to stabilize in what we know. Because a lot of us know a lot and we could even speak, uh, articulate a lot, but we haven't necessarily stabilized at that level yet. So it's almost like we can talk about from the next level, but we haven't stabilized there. When I first came around Lee, he had me write a book and he wanted me to write about the teachings of, that he was presenting. First of all, my life and how I had gotten there, and then about the, the teachings that had impressed me. And I kept saying to him, I kept saying, I, I, don't, I, I know about these things, but I haven't lived them yet. And he said, yes, of course not, but you must articulate them. And then that's what your work will be, is to live into what you are articulating now. So just because we can articulate something does not mean we have stabilized that we are manifesting that as our everyday life. And it's very important to keep that in mind. And it's very important for anybody who does public work. And God help me, please. Because if you, if you, 
there's no way in which people will not make projections on you and assume that because you can articulate it, you are stabilized in it and living it. But you, you don't necessarily have to have that in order to be able to articulate it. But you, you want to be able to make it clear to yourself that, yes, I can articulate that. I, I can see, you know, that non-separation, the truth of non-separation. Or I can see that I am God. Or I can see, you know, that God is love and all that. But have I stabilized in that? Is that the truth of at the cellular level for me? No. No. But telling ourselves that truth, that's how we use spiritual authority. That's how we use the teachings in general is as points of reference that we can then work with over a lifetime. We let a spiritual authority create an edge for us which allows us to honestly see if we are indeed creating our own work or we are simply indulging in coziness. The edge doesn't mean that you have to be on the front lines. The edge is something that is like the next edge of sadhana, the next edge of spiritual practice is learning patience, is learning learning surrender, is learning, you know, honoring and respecting this other. To create one's own work is a really a really interesting topic, and probably we've had talks about that here. I don't know if anybody's giving a talk on that subject, but uh, creating one's own work is, um, is really a, a, a sign of spiritual maturity when you are able to say, um, There's no top end here. There's no end to this path. And if I'm going to keep going, then I have to keep working the edge. And what's the edge? What's the edge? The edge is not necessarily what we might think it is. If it's more, if it's indulging in coziness, then uh, it's not an edge. Unless you have been Uh, a fierce, demanding, rigorous, aggressive type all your life. (laughs) And maybe to to relax and allow some softening to take place. Maybe that's the edge. That's a really hard one. That's a really hard edge. And so we use uh, a relationship to spiritual authority uh, as a way to build a body of, of practice. Um, and, um, you know, so many different traditions have so many different practices, but are we building a body of practice such that we have a, a type of discernment so that we are like the musician who hears distinctions, that we are like the singer who, you know, the attuned to that? Are we listening deeply uh, to, to sources of wisdom, to sources of spiritual wisdom? And are we deeply listening in ourselves? <laughs> this is John Wellwood. The acid test in relationship to spiritual authority is not how well the students or disciples please the authority but how fully they meet and respond to life's challenges as a result of their relationship to that authority. The ultimate criteria for judging a spiritual authority is whether they guide their students towards a more authentic, transparent quality of human presence and being in the world. The only way, and this is, this is Nisargadatta Maharaj, he's like the ultimate spiritual authority in Hinduism. The only way you can judge a spiritual authority is by the change in yourself when you are in their company. If you understand yourself more than usual, with more than usual clarity and depth, it may indicate that you've met the right person. <laughs> The Buddha uh, advised that if you you recognize a teaching 
by how much it has helped you or those in the teaching to reduce the afflictions of attachment, aversion, and delusion. What if um, <coughs> having a relationship to a real spiritual authority is not part of one's experience? Well, the, the thing is, one doesn't necessarily have that, but if one is showing up here, you know, and I'll just so supposing there was somebody here who had no relationship to her, to any kind of a human person. Um, you come, you come here. You know, this is where you, this is where you came on a Saturday night. And what, what is it that brought you to examine, to ask the question, why did you come here tonight? You know, what is it that's moving you to come here? Is the beginning of the search for um, an inner sense of, of truth, to look at something for yourself. And as the process unfolds itself, you hear the idea that there is, oh, do you mean there are these people who actually exhibit presence of such a degree that you are like emptied in their presence? Uh, that is... Just, just the fact that one hears that such a thing is possible opens the next door to the next chamber. And then the longing arises, well, maybe I could meet such a one. And maybe one begins to look, or maybe one begins to listen, or maybe so a friend says, come and, come and hear this uh, woman. She's uh, pretty cool. I found some really good things there. And that, you know, it, it all begins. So it begins in this room right here in Prescott, Arizona. It all starts here. 